Hey folks, on this episode of Difficult Conversations Made Simple, we have Ian Walsh. Ian comes on speaking about um, just life in general, his weight loss, working in the customer service industry and the difficulties involved in those. Some really good um, and insightful points from Ian throughout. Uh, one interesting thing is the pressure that companies put on people to, to not be sick or how we define uh, sick. Uh, what would be wrong with someone calling in and just saying, look, I'm not feeling mentally well today. Uh, I can't come in or whatever, which is which is common, but it doesn't happen because people feel like, oh, I can't say that, you know, but uh, there's no reason why, why it has to be a physical uh, illness as opposed to a mental one. So, um, so some really good points. I really enjoyed this podcast. Ian speaks about his weight loss and how he, how he got back on track and the rut he got into and things like that. So, um yeah i really enjoyed this podcast with ian um i know you will too some really good and insightful points throughout from ian and it's just a nice and easy conversation to listen to so yep enjoy today's uh, podcast for difficult conversations made simple we have ian walsh ian is a good friend of mine we went to school together from primary school to de la salle and onto the wit ian is going to speak about his background in combat sports and his professional background ian for those who may not know you as well as i do can you tell us a little about yourself and why you agreed to come on and do this podcast yeah sure uh thanks for having us on no problem um so yeah i'm Ian Welch. Uh, I am a qualified personal trainer. Um, I went to school with Shane there. Jeez, must have been in school maybe 12, 13 years ago, if even mm-hmm. maybe longer than that. Yeah. Um, I went to De La Salle. Um, I went on to Waterford College for education. I done a QQI in sport and recreation. I went on then to the week to do exercise and health. I ended up doing two years of that and I kind of branched out, went elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came back to do my personal training with Evolution Fitness. So I ended up in TJ Reed's gym up in Kilkenny. Um, I done a nutrition diplomacy with them as well. Um, yeah, I've been a member then of sort of Waterford Muay Thai and, um, it was first war for MMA, but now it's Team Rhino. They've kind of split out into a few different clubs now. Um, but yeah, I've been a member with sort of on and off of them since, geez, I'm probably about 15, I'd say. So maybe the last nine, going on 10 years now. Um, yeah. There's a lot of other sports as well, so yeah. Yeah, so a really good um, detailed introduction there, Ian. I think I have more courses to beat the band, but um, obviously on this... <laughs> On this podcast, we, we speak about men and, and our mental health and stigmas. So a question I ask everybody is, uh, what is your opinion on stigmas among men, such as uh, real men don't cry or a man's man? Um, I think they are very used and not so relevant in today's society. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, look, yeah, you ask some of the question, you know, do you, do you cry or do men cry? Um, and it's answered as if, have you cried in the last week or have you cried in the last two weeks? Well, like, you could say, do you play football? Um, 
I haven't played football in the last two weeks, but I can play football. Uh, you know, so it's kind of like the same for crying. Mm-hmm. No, I don't. I don't cry, but it doesn't mean I can't cry. Or yeah, it's kind of yeah. used as a blanket term. If you get what I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. they think because you don't do something, that doesn't necessarily mean you haven't done it last week or the week before. Yeah. Or you don't have yeah. an issue with it. Um, and this whole man's man thing. Uh, everyone has a diff different definition of what a man's man is yeah. um, and there's this sort of pressure to be a number of different things mm-hmm. um, you know someone's definition of a man would be completely different to someone else's definition of a man mm-hmm. and I think over the years you look at um, let's say the the breakout of different movements the you know rights movements are you know for women or you've had uh, gay rights and things like that and they all had to go through like a development phase where mm-hmm. you developed who you are and what they stood for and all that whereas men have kind of just been men um since before we can remember yeah and i think it's got lost over time mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. men are not the same as the fi- in the 50s as they as they were now same as any of these other movements weren't the same but there's been no development along the way for men, really. It's just what I think the issue is. No one's really come out to say anything. No, that's a, that's a really interesting point. And there, there are so many campaigns for all these different um, agendas now. And, and rightly so, fair play to them, more than area. But one thing that we, we overlook and see plenty of posts about, but not really much being done about, especially from the government, is, is men's mental health and... But you break it down like across the world, 50%, give or take a percent either side, are male. And so this is something that affects one in every two people on earth. And like chances of, like the, the, statistics, <laughs> the statistics are quite high for, for like men to eventually have a mental health problem. But in some stage in their life, but you don't really see anything being done about it. Like in schools or anything like that, we've done an extensive four year um, course in the wish, but there was nothing really on it on mental health. We had a bit on SPHE, which was really helpful for everyone there, but the SPHE you do in secondary school isn't really worth a fuck, to be honest. And the same for primary schools, like, there's nothing there. Like, and you grow up then from the ages of four to 18 in a Molly Coddle's environment of going to school nine to five or whatever the hours are. And then as soon as you're 18, you start getting all these different emotions of anxiety or depression or whatever. Well, maybe not at 18, but around that age group, like as soon as you break away from your adolescence, like, and you just feel so blindsided by it because there's no infrastructure there for it. Oh yeah, 100%. Like there's a big sort of, um, like you were touching on the SPHE there. Uh, we don't SPHE and I remember like sitting in WITE doing SPHE and being asked to talk and most of the fellas in the room would be sitting there with their arms crossed, very negative body language, closed yeah. off to the room. Uh, if they did speak, they were looking at the floor or twiddling their, their feet. Um, sometimes even the, the lecturer or somebody would be quite surprised by men speaking or the certain things that they say. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you could see how difficult it would be for some for some of them to, to speak about those things. Um, and it's definitely something that each and every one of us go through. Um, you've got you know that imposter syndrome, 
know, where you you're not really sure you can, you can experience that with your career, with your general life. You're not really sure if you are the person that you're you're playing or whatever. You know, uh, there's a, that's a it's a really interesting thing. I've read up on the imposter syndrome a little bit, but yeah, it's 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 quite interesting. I think it's something that affects a lot of men. Yeah, no, hundred percent. The thing you touched on earlier, um, I just think it's an interesting point, and we always kind of break it down to, uh, is it okay for men to cry? But I think, as you said, like in those SPHE classes, there was a bit of bad body language, but that's just how men deal with, with those sensitive topics, because they're uncomfortable to begin with. And hopefully the idea of this podcast is more people are, are comfortable. But going back to my point about crying is, like, it's not always crying. Sometimes you could have anxiety and there might not be a tear on your face. You could be smiling. Like, it's so variable. Yeah. Like, you can't just put it down to crying. But we do. Yeah. We tend to. We tend to just say, you know, um, how do we define someone who is sad or someone who's upset if they cry? Yeah. But that's not really the case. Um, no. People that are upset or sad. Some people could act in an angry manner because they're they're upset or sad. Mm-hmm. People react really differently. But just because you don't uh, show your emotions, which is probably um, something that we do for both sexes, whereas we say all women when they get sad they cry, and all men, you know, don't cry and they don't feel these things. But it's not necessarily it's not it's not true at all. No. We just experience things differently and we deal with them in a, in a different manner. Yeah, and, and it's situational as, as well. Like I did an interesting podcast yesterday with Christopher Schoen. Um, I don't know if you remember him from Del Sal, but he was saying like it's about like cognitive flexibility. So like one situation might suit the man to be like we don't really dwell on things too much. We just kind of act and we're a bit more pragmatic. So one situation could suit that better. But like a funeral... I think a male is disarmed and they don't really know what to do or how to cope because they don't really have the same skills. Well, a female is a lot more in tune with, with that side of herself and like it helps her a lot more because she's able to talk about it. So it's it's more situational as opposed to a gender trade-off, which we see so often. Ian, um, what methods do you use when you're not feeling mentally strong? Or if, if you are feeling mentally strong, what helps you to stay positive and, and in a good place mentally? Um, well, I suppose uh, I, I have a few things that I've sort of used over the years. Um, I, I'd say when, when I left the weight and I went away working, I, I moved out for a while and I gained a, a lot of weight. Um, I was up maybe 110 or, or above kilo, kilograms in weight. Um, yeah. Big swelled head, big chubby head, you know what I mean, and a, and a belly to go along with it. But um, yeah, it, it was tough then to come to the realization to to have to, to have to do that, to lose that, to stay positive along the track because um, you, you'd have different things. But what I find that from talking to other people and something that I had to do was you have to take at least one positive thing from everything. When no matter what your failures are, no matter what you tried, you have to take something positive from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you always have to have something, you know, either to look forward to or, you know, if you're stressing about work or you're, you're feeling negative, okay, plan something for after work. Yeah. Um, I, I listen to a lot of music. That's kind of my, my lately thing, mm-hmm. um, especially when I was working in the call centers and it's a stressful environment yeah i listen to a lot of music a lot of feel good music um 
it's where I was, you know, born in the 60s or 70s <laughs> with the music I listen to, you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. It's, it makes you feel good, you know. Yeah. Um, but you need to keep something positive out of everything. You need to take positivity out of your failures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what what brought you to that phase, like, or what brought you to that thought that I need to take it, something good from every day or something good from every situation? Um, I suppose it was the amount of times that I failed uh, when trying to trying to start or kickstart uh, getting back on track. Like I was always a sporty person. Um, growing up, I played a lot. Like played a lot of different sports. Um, I played um, played GA for a while as well. Actually. You'd, mm-hmm. you'd never think I played that. I played no. that for a year. Uh, football. I played football for years. I mm-hmm. I done jujitsu and wrestling and all that. Um, trying to get back into sports like that was really hard. Um, but I had to take, and I was constantly failing. Um, you know, trying to stick to some sort of diet, trying to plan anything at all. I was constantly failing the whole time. But with every failure, there was something good that came from it. Um, and it was finding that it was even other people pointing that out to me. Oh, geez, you know, I went training tonight, but I really didn't perform, and I had no gas or whatever. Yeah, but you went though. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes stepping in the door and, and showing up is ninety percent of the battle. And uh, you realize that after a while, that you're always going to have good days and bad days. But no matter what, no matter how bad the day is, there's always something good that that comes from it. You know. What? What? Yeah, some really good points there, and like I think. Being Irish as well, we're probably a little too harsh on ourselves at times. Like yeah. we don't give ourselves the, the pat on the back that, that sometimes we need. Like I see it over here that you'd almost say they're full of themselves because because they're like it, and, and maybe that's the way yeah. to be. But it's definitely not in our culture, naturally. Anyway, uh, just the the weight loss movement, Dean. How how was it when you were at your heaviest, and and how difficult was it to to get back to a good place where where you you probably are now? Uh, like it was, it was mentally so draining. Um, because I, there was still some like people who knew me from school and knew me from uh, playing football and stuff like that were kind of shocked to see me. Do you know what I mean? Um, were a little bit like, you know, you could see, not that they would say it or some, you know, some. They probably said it afterwards, but uh, a lot of people you could see the look on their face when, when they meet you, they're kind of be in the shock to be like, You look very, very different. <laughs> you know what I mean? You look mm-hmm. very different. And, and yeah, it was it was tough. Um but the thing that that, that really don't affect, especially in an Irish society, everyone's all about slagging. Yeah. Everyone's all about slagging. You know, class, you know, you're having a slag, you're getting on to this fella, getting on to that fella, you know. Um but the, I think the the thing that that done it for me, the thing that I had to I had to realize I was doing it for myself, you know, um, that was the biggest sort of turn point when I decided to actually do it was that I had to do it for myself, you know what I mean? Not to be like, oh, I want to lose the weight because, um, you know, I, I know that people are people are calling me fat, or I know that you know he went cheese, he's he's not getting big, or he had to put on some weight, or do you know what I mean? Like. Those kind of outside aspects, they didn't carry with me. Good, it was when good, I, yeah. I done it for myself. That's when I actually did do it. Do you know what I mean? Because we see that like stigma around like people who are carrying a bit of, of weight who may not have been um, the same 12 stone they were when they were 17. God forbid anyone went up or down in weight as, as life <laughs> progresses. Like life happens. But just like that weight loss in general... D- 
like some people might be happy at their heaviest, but were you happy within yourself at that point, or, or are you much happier now? Definitely much happier now. Um, like I lost about thirty kilos, uh, which is you know sixty something, maybe seventy seventy pounds yeah. um, of weight. Um, and I'm so I'm so like so much happier since since it happened. Um, you just it was like it was like I was I was the same person. You know, I I didn't change as as a person all that much, mm-hmm. but I was able to show. You know, your my confidence grew, and you know, you you know from talking to people, so you know, geez, you're, you're well, or, do you know what I mean? Oh, he's on, he's on some buzz, he's on some vibe or whatever. And you're like, I was always on that vibe, but I just, yeah, I didn't feel myself to to show it, which I think comes back comes back to the point you were saying. Some people could be their happiest at the at their heaviest. You have you have to be happy with you, and I just didn't feel like that was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that yeah. that was the thing that I, that was the thing. It wasn't that, oh, you know, you're you're this way or you look that way, or whatever. I just felt like it wasn't me. Yeah, yeah, no, you know I mean? I'd, I'd feel the same as well. What helps you maintain that, Ian? Uh, maintaining the sort of positivity in that, uh, and the the healthier lifestyle. Um. So, I suppose again, it's yeah. You, you build goals and you build motivation like like bricks. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, you put you put one thing down. You say, right, I'm gonna do this or do that or whatever, and you feel good doing it. You know what I mean? Like I feel good being able to do things now that I wasn't able to do before. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I see my friends a lot more than I did back then because I didn't want to be around people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can go out now and enjoy myself because at the time I didn't feel comfortable going out and enjoying myself. You know what I mean, you can wear different clothes now because. You feel good in it, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't really have any photos from from back then, but my passport photo was from back then, and uh, it's it's some shocker. Really? Jeez, it's just shocker. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know. So sometimes I have one or two holiday photos as well from when I was sort of midway through the process. Um. And it's nice to remind yourself where you came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's a good thing as well. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And and the thing like with that is, if people are at their heaviest and they're listening and they, and they're not really happy with themselves, think like for you it was probably one of the best things that happened to you to to get to a bad stage to give you the hindsight and the the viewpoint to be like right, this isn't. I'm not happy here. I'm changing this. And and now you're you're flying now. Um, I'm just going to touch on combat sports. Um, you've always been so so passionate and active in combat sports. How have they helped you? Uh, well, I suppose it's it's a huge confidence thing. Um, yeah, it's also a big sort of it builds humbleness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so especially when I when I done jujitsu and uh, submission grappling, judo and wrestling and stuff. Because I was the youngest there, and you were going up against uh, adults, you know, on a on a daily basis, you know, um, you were continuously being being humbled, but you were continuously learning, mm-hmm. and you were competing in a sport where uh, it's not purely physical. You know, jiu jitsu is like a complicated chess match. You know what I mean? It's 
you know, you get caught in a submission or you get caught in a position or whatever, and you just you just tap out and you shake hands and you start again. Yeah. Or you learn from it, you know, uh, and there's no real ego involved in it, mm-hmm. which which was really good. And there's also, you know, gr- growing up, people are doing sports and stuff, are playing like a normal sport like football or whatever. You're in with everyone the same, your same age as you. Yeah. Probably, probably from the same area as you too. Mm-hmm. Whereas this club, the Jiu-Jitsu or the Thai boxing and that, were completely different age groups. There was people there and they're you know, in their forties and fifties, there was people in their twenties, thirties, and none of them probably had the same interests. So, other than what they were there to do, uh, so you got to meet a wide spectrum of people, and it made me realize from a young age that I can probably get on with you know ninety percent of people and everyone, no matter how they look or you know what they're aware or whatever that you probably have some sort of shared interest or you, you can get along with them you know what i mean so um once once you're once you go in with that kind of attitude you know yeah it's mad like people who from the outside who haven't ever been involved in a, a combat sport or been to training or anything like that they think it's all about fighting but in reality, fighting or training is probably actually fifteen percent of it. There's another segment for the sense of community. There's another se- like thing for camaraderie. There's another uh, segment for personal growth. There's another segment for discipline. There's another segment for humility. Like yeah, like yeah. Uh, combat sports are. I t- I personally think that they're the one that can can be so transferable um for life in general, uh professional or just general social skills, um but. I want to ask you how how can con- combat sports help help others mentally? Well, there's this sort of um, because you're te- testing yourself, you know. There's this physical exhaustion. Um, the thing with with MMA and uh, grappling and stuff like that was that um, it was very very you could get yourself into some very very uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. Um. um what we what we used to think or say or whatever was that you'll never know unless, until like if you truly want to do this sport until you're on the you're on your back on the bottom pressed up against the cage or whatever and you can't move and you're taking punches or you're about to be submit that level of pressure um but you're completely safe you know because you're in a training environment you can just tap you can just say mm-hmm. oh whatever you're completely safe but being put in those pressurized um situations really helps develop with life you know Mm -hmm, Um, and having someone trap you in a certain position that you can't get out of or having someone continuously beat you to the punch or whatever that but in a not they're not trying to beat you up or anything or no no no. like it's it's not a it's not a a, a kind of angry or trying to hurt you but continuously being put in all those different situations and on the flip side continuously having your own thing so no matter if he was 10 times your your size or whatever like that there was always things in jiu-jitsu or whatever that you could do to beat someone it was uh, developed by the gracies um, and they were not a very big family or big people and uh, over brazil it was big they'd fight over the beaches and stuff for property and that so they were always fighting bigger people so they developed a system where they could fight off their back so it's developed to beat the, the stronger, bigger person mm-hmm. with pure technique. So you always had a dog in the fight and uh, those sort of pressurized situations. and uh, The whole 
you know, win, lose or, or draw or whatever happened in trading or whatever happened in your grapple with the guy, that you would get up, uh, shake hands, smile, hug, um, those kind of things, especially after training where you have to bow to each other or a lot of jiu-jitsu gyms, you get half the gym line up on one side, the other on the other and you all shake hands or, or do like a kind of half hug, half shake hands thing and thanks for tonight. That, that was good, you know. <laughs> yeah, after after punching the head off each other, but <laughs> so, I think that's the great thing about uh, combat sports yeah. that I have. Like you know, if you were sparing a friend or anything like that, to be worried like that. Oh, geez, if I catch him with a hook now, he won't be happy. But it it just takes that away as soon as the fight is over. You shake hands and that's it. You don't think of it. Yeah. Like, but if that happened outside of a, a combat sport gym, like you'd probably hold a grudge against them, or you'd be like. Definitely now, like for that, like yeah, that's it. Yeah, you would. Uh, but it's it's the environment that you're in when you're doing it, and you build that that respect for for other people. Ian, you speak a lot about um what I take from it is mental resilience from combat sports, especially being held in certain uh grapple holes or or actually coming through difficult fights or fighting anyone older. Um, what are some of the benefits that you have personally endorsed from being active in combat sports? Well, definitely, definitely that, that resilience, that um, ability where, although uh, it is mainly physical, um, it does carry over to your to your mental aspects and to your ability to push yourself because sometimes you don't actually want to do these things, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you, you don't really feel like, oh, jeez, if, if I go over there now and start grappling with him or whatever, he's too big, he's going to hold me down, he's going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. But, you kind of do those things anyway, and it translates over into, I don't really want to do my college work tonight, but I kind of have to get it done. Yeah. Or, I do, oh, look, I don't really want to go into work now today, whatever, but I have to, have mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can translate that into all aspects of your life as well. You're kind of, because it's such, because combat sports are so multifaceted, like, just because you're a boxer doesn't mean you just box 24-7. You have to run. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Your coordination has to be very good. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you see a lot of lads doing the drills with the tennis balls and stuff. You seem to be a little bit more, you know, they scream as well. You seem to be a little bit more uh, open to change in life and, and adaptability is, yeah, is, is yeah, big. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you don't really, you're okay to change your routine. Like if you went into the, to the job tomorrow and they said right we're going to flip the place upside down now and change this around and your job's completely different your adaptability is fine you know you take yeah, these things yeah, 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 wish, yeah. You, know? you can conquer and overcome I think yeah. I, I always refer to boxing as a full time sport to be honest I, as soon as I went to college I, I just found it very hard to keep up with the training three times a week and, and probably getting extra sessions in and, and usually before boxing like because one you're training to keep your weight down two you need to be actually fit and three you need to learn the technique they're showing you in training like so it's so multifaceted as you said like but it is a full-time sport so if you can if you can keep up with a combat sport chances are you'll be absolutely fine in the real world or professional world or whatever we like to call it speaking of the the real world um and harsh reality um i remember starting to work with yourself during college in a call center hashtag and when we were in college um I remember going on a J1 and I came back. They held the job for me, like, gratefully for it. But I remember coming back and I just thought, God, I, I can't do this another day. And I just handed in my notice that day, finished my shift. 
and I, I never looked back uh, and I had no backup plan or anything but I you you stayed on and so I'm just curious like so some of the days in there like they, they get very overwhelming especially in the service industry and uh, where you're dealing with irate customers what mechanisms did you use during these tough days or what what mechanisms do you still use to help you through these tough days in, in, in the, that industry um I, I remember like you know the nervousness to start and stuff i actually remember me and you taking our first calls and i'd say i remember actually the sweat patches on yeah, my shirt same. Same. Before I went to take the first call, mm-hmm. yeah, I was sweating because uh, <laughs> it was only a new call center at the time. Yeah, so it was. It wasn't like it is now where people are going in and out the doors yeah. like this, you know. Um, yeah, I found I found some days some days were tough, um, but again, you had to remove yourself from the situation. Um, you do can't. I couldn't take anything personal, um, but. I also, I don't know, sometimes it was hard not to take things personal, but, yeah. you know, uh, especially if they were, you know, not just saying the company or whatever, they were saying you and you and you, sometimes, oh, sometimes yeah, it was yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose, though, from, again, being in, in sports and being uh, competitive and that like that, you kind of... you kind of realise, you know, it's, it's very easy to abuse someone over the phone and all that, like, but... You know, these are probably people that, you know, are unhappy somewhere else and they're just abusing me over the phone or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, and, yeah, you're the scapegoat for them. Yeah, you're, you know, you kind of just think, well, okay, you know, it doesn't really bother me, you know. Um, but one thing that I did sort of do is I made sure to break up my days. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember like a four-hour shift after college, which was been in college all day and then having to get changed in the toilets of the college and run across the age yeah, yeah, yeah. across to wherever you're working uh, was the most ideal thing ever but I would always uh, use my I'd use all my personal time every single day I used all my personal time yeah. when I broke up my personal time my breaks and my lunch in, in throughout the day so if you didn't have a break for like three hours an hour and a half in takes personal time yeah. Use up all your personal time and just get, just even just go for a walk, just walk around and come back. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried not to check my phone, uh, my breaks and stuff, uh, keep, keep the phone away. Um, unless you've got something really important. I just felt like you couldn't center your thoughts if you were scrolling through facebook or instagram or whatever that you just you, and then all of a sudden your break is gone and you're whatever yeah uh, you're kind of going back you're going oh it's time to go back here now whatever whereas if you're not doing those things if you're just going out or you're taking that walk or you're looking outside or whatever mm-hmm. you have the choice as to what you're concentrating on so yeah like okay look i'm doing this after work or i'm doing this this weekend um and you could control your, your thoughts and keep them as positive as possible Definitely having things to look forward to as well was big. You know, knowing that you're in here now and you're getting the work done, but that's because you have a trip at the end of the month or because you're going for a drive the weekend or, you know, things like that. You always had something on, you know. Obviously, that takes some, like, conditioning as well. Like, you start in a workplace like that at 18 years old. You have to really clear how to manage all these different um, things. angry customers coming at you left right and center and, and things they're saying because as you said like it, it's much easier to be an asshole over the phone than it is in person like i think if, if you did that same job in city square 
I, t- I still think you will get assholes coming in and being really angry over something that's really not your fault. But the frequency will be far less. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I, I did work in retail before. I worked in, um, I went to the Holland Bar store. Uh, mm. done some retail work there, and definitely face to face, you don't get as many awkward people. No, and you still get you still get some people that want you to be very, um, forthcoming with them, or they want you to carry their bag, or you know they want you to be nearly over polite to them. Yeah, uh, but you don't really get people having a go at you, and I think it's that. Again, you don't really need face to repercussions or something over the phone. But if someone was to say something to you face to face, even your body language or how you react to it or whatever, they have to deal with that reaction. Mm-hmm. And I think even that sometimes is enough to ward off people from being over the top with you. Yeah, that's so true. Facial, like facial reaction when someone's being an ass, like I, like my face probably tells all when someone's speaking to me. To be honest, I, I, I don't think I can hide it one way or another. Like if they're being an asshole, I just like, and that's that's one thing I, I know about myself. Like from years off, probably being shouted at in school, I just shut shut down when someone shouts at me. So you're wasting your breath even speaking about yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, just on the the topic of uh, call centers, there's. I've I seen a study back from 2003, um, well, it was a, a national study, and, and it's, it's probably, a, the numbers are, have varied a lot since then, but well, probably quite similar too. Uh, there's a 50% turnover every year in call centers, and moreover, 2% of those call centers make up for the working population of the country. And and you break it down even further again and look at Watford, it's probably... Six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really kicked off. I suppose it, it kind of started with the whole uh, everyone talk call centers were in the Philippines and India, and it was like cheap labor and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. But now it's 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 come over. You know, it's it's big here, um, and it is easy to get sucked in. There, I think the reason though, there's such like a a turnover. Is because of the support that they have in there. So, like like you were saying earlier, one of the things that you did to cope with it forever, well, I had to cope with all of that stuff. There's nothing there for you if, you've ha- if you're having a bad day. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. nothing there. And it, I, I don't know about all of them, but in the majority of, I suppose, offices and stuff like that, um, very little people are interested in people that work there. It's mm. all about statistics and uh, codes and all this kind of stuff. And I think there was a bit of a shift. Though I think when we first started uh, all those years ago, it wasn't as bad as it is now. And it's really? just pure. I think the majority of places are got pure statistics and codes and all that kind of stuff. That, where it was, that used yeah. to kill me in like... You do a really good week's work and you meet all your targets and they're like, oh, well done, here's higher targets. <laughs> it's like, that's the most demotivating thing you could have done to me here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, that's, yeah, that's probably one of the biggest things is that the difference between certain companies and the likes of you've got Google or uh, Amazon or any of those places that is the the benefits and the care that they put into their workers mm-hmm. you know like you don't have that turnover on google obviously it's a massive company but 
Um, I imagine they deal with huge complaints. I imagine they deal with, you know, Apple. Yeah. I imagine they deal with huge complaints as well. But they also have the benefits and the support that goes along with them. So they, they keep their staff. Yeah, 100%. And, and you do that, that trade-off between Google and they, they do have better, like, employee retention. But that's because they put in the infrastructure. So just going to ask yeah. you a little about that infrastructure. So just like the, the profit margins are quite good for call centers. The more people they have on, the more money they actually make. Um, obviously money comes first for any of these big companies and, and that's what business is so it's just a harsh reality uh, but the, like speaking of the turnovers the recruitment side of businesses have become like a revolving door especially in the customer service industry and can be like quite costly and, and time burdening for, for those companies do you think if these same companies spent more money on gyms and not charging employees to use the gym but make it free healthier canteens and um, personal breaks you spoke about how you use your personal breaks but i found in in hashtag at the start that if you didn't smoke the personal break was really for just swiveling on your chair for 10 or 15 minutes and um, maybe even wellness incentives such as like health benefits and um, basically spending money on their employees health can actually make them a a happier and healthier and more productive workforce. What's your take on that? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like I, I don't uh, work for three uh, UK complaints. Um, and when we came out of Grabby, um, or when we were in Grabby, sorry, our stats and all that kind of stuff were, you know, probably we had to be split up into all separate teams because our Grabby team was the best team on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, now. I still kind of talk to some of them, but I think out of the 12 or whatever, there's only about three left. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically just because of how there's no support for staff. You know what I mean? There's no support for staff. No, so no. you have guys you have guys coming in there that uh, have plenty of experience, you know, are going to come in and make an impact. And if they're on your team, they're going to make you look good. You know, it's going to be great for, for the business, for all that kind of stuff. But you can't keep them there because there's no support. No, no, no. And, just, and like the benefits is huge. The, the reason why a lot of people leave these companies are because they're probably on 200 and odd on the dole. They have their medical card. They have their prescriptions paid for, or maybe two euro per item. I'm not sure what way it is now. And they have like rent allowance, phone allowance, fuel allowance, all these extra things. So when they actually weigh it up from, from working in a call center for 40 hours a week, or going back to the door, there's, there's not much in the difference, like, you know. No, um, I, I remember as well when I was working for RS Connect, uh, they, their main office was in the UK, and say on like a monthly basis, we would get, you know, things for the office, um, and you'd be, the way going, oh yeah, they're bringing out, you know, new benefits, or blah, blah, whatever. And they'd be all UK based stuff. And that was a bit of a, that was a bit of a slap in the face to be like, well, yeah. there's 80 of us over here and your company benefits, we can use zero. Um, it was the same for other companies as well. Their benefits were mainly overseas and mm-hmm. the actual, you know, base employees never really got any of And you think benefits, right? We speak about the our system, just kind of brainstorming here, but like the other system, if you want to see uh, like, mental health services in Ireland, you, like you're probably put on like close to a two year waiting list. But if you had benefits, you can go private. And how big is that for customer service industry? Like 
to have that outlet for them, like I, I think that that alone would make a huge difference. Just the benefits side of it, and um, being able to afford going private, because over here in Canada we have uh, benefits and it's eighty percent off. So you pay twenty percent, but eighty percent off is is massive. Like to see a GP is free, and um, your your prescriptions are also eighty percent off. And like again. The eighty percent off just isn't pertaining to the dentist. You can go see a physio, get eighty percent off. You can go see a counselor, get eighty percent off. Like it works for everything. Like so, yeah. I just think like to have proper benefits in a company that big would would pay back tenfold for them. Oh, absolutely. Um, that's that's a really good system they have. They have set up there. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's really good. Um, they definitely don't have system set up like that in any of the places that, that I that I think of anyway. Um I know of one of the places have like they take it's a few euro of your wages and you get free doctors visits. Um but that's just medical doctor. It's not yeah. a you know, it does it again does not support. That's like if you're feeling sick. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that that's that's not again, I think sickness as well is a big thing in Ireland where if you're sick um, and you come in the next day after being sick, you know it's like you were on trial for something. You know what I mean? Uh, I've 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 heard the fellas being accused of not being sick. I know. By their, by their team leaders or whatever. I know you weren't sick. You know, and you know as if you know there's some pressure on being sick. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you wouldn't know. Maybe maybe he wasn't sick, but maybe he is having a bad bad time. Yeah, exactly. Sick doesn't mean physical sickness. You could just need a mental break. Like over here, they call them wellness days, but they also call them uh, like mental health days as well. So you, whatever you want to call them, but like you could be just having a shit week and need a day off. And and probably at the time, you'd be like, I'm not actually sick. But you probably are. Like you're probably not feeling the best anyway. And if that was a, a slight little vomiting bug or something off, like else, you'd be like, oh yeah, I am sick. But because it, it's probably up in your head, it doesn't really get the same respect it probably earns. Or, or no, uh, there's, there's a huge link between those as well that you can actually nearly make yourself feel physically sick from, you know, worrying or being anxious about something. You can, you can make yourself feel sick. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I think maybe, what is it? But bring in sick three times in six months and, you know, you're having a meeting with management. Yeah, about, yeah, yeah. You know, you need, you need to come to work. You know what I mean? And it's not like, okay, you're, you're sick and people are checking on you. And it's like, okay, look, you, you've been sick a lot. Are you, you know, is there anything you need to tell us or is there anything going on or whatever? It's like, okay, ring in sick again and you're getting a, a verbal warning or you're getting this or you're getting that, whatever, you know? And, you think and about, that nearly adds to it. Yeah, no, and you think about it, like, they're pulling from a cohort, like, usually they pull from people who are on social welfare. So, like, health may not be the best because they probably couldn't afford it when they were on social welfare. So... Like these people, like their health or their immune system may be compromised from the get-go. So who who is anyone to say, oh, if you're sick three times in six months, which is could happen to anyone, or you're coming in for a meeting. And a lot of the time, what I remember being there, if you, if you were pulled in for that meeting, chances are you'd be close to being let go. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they'd be asking, do you want to bring a witness with you? Yeah. Uh, that, was, yeah. that was a big thing as well. Yeah. Would you, would you like to bring a witness? Um. You know what I mean? And then you're going, well, if there actually was something wrong with him, he probably 
feels nervous enough or she feels nervous enough about saying it to you never mind if there's someone there you know what I mean you're just adding people to the situation um, which I, I don't really think helps um, the fact as well that you need to bring a witness into the company that you work for thing is okay that's that's another thing I suppose but yeah and just one thing just back to the sick days as well is that like I still like over here I probably won't have a problem but back home I don't think I'd have the, the confidence to go to someone in HR and say, look, not feeling well this week, like really struggling with the work week. Um, do you mind if I take tomorrow off? I don't think the response, they, they'd probably like from a professional capacity have to go along with it. But like I could imagine behind your back, they're saying, she's not wrong with Shane now. He just wanted a day off for no reason. He came up and asked for a day off. Like it wouldn't go down well. No, it wouldn't. No. Um, but, there's this sort of like HR is supposed to be, you know, human resources is supposed to be in your corner. You know what I mean? They're supposed to be impartial, looking yeah. out for you, yeah, impartial to everything. But um, I, I think I've had one or two jobs where HR have come in, uh, sort of in your induction date and sort of laid down the law. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what it was like. Whereas mm-hmm. um, I don't, I just. I remember the first time it happened, I didn't remember that happening anywhere else I was. And it was like, well, if I actually needed any of the stuff the HR were talking about, definitely now after this little induction or whatever, I'm definitely not going to ask. I know. And the sad thing is, like, mental health is a real problem in this, this industry, but just, like, I don't think they're putting any investment or infrastructure in. And, just moving on from, from call centers, because I could ramble about those all day, to be honest. Yeah. Um, what advice would you have for someone who is struggling mentally, but may be afraid to come forth and speak about their mental health? Um, if you can't speak to anyone, uh, I think podcasts or uh, books or something like that is a good way to start. Mm-hmm. Um, more than likely, you can find somewhere where maybe someone that you look up with, up to or whatever like that has has something out there where they show a very human side. Um, it's it's so readily available now, and maybe because these things like podcasts, uh, audio books, and stuff like that are so taught, inspiring, or you kind of go, oh well, you know, Jesus, yeah, this this person, you know, feels this, or that person feels this. Now maybe you might open up and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's taking that initial step. It's like uh, with, with any of that kind of stuff, with making the step come forward or whatever. When you get to the point of the highest amount of anxiety, uh, just over that little step there is the most uh, sort of relief that mm-hmm. you're going to get. Mm-hmm. You have to go to that point where, like, I remember being, very very upset uh, you know about about my weight kind of when I first realised but I couldn't say I felt like I couldn't say it to anyone yeah or I, I remember stages along the way where I just kind of felt like I can't, I can't you know my body is so tired and uh, I was even like dieting so poorly at the start like starving myself uh, but was afraid to ask for help because I was afraid to say that I was trying to lose weight or I was trying to do this or you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, and there were some dark times there like but 
you do kind of have to you have to, you have to make sure you're obviously in a good positive circle as well you know surround yourself with good people surround yourself with, with good thoughts um, and take care of your take care of your mental space you know mm-hmm. what I mean mm-hmm. um, it's very important that you take care of your mental space I think once you do open up and once you do say to someone or anyone at all really it's a big relief off your shoulders huge yeah. relief off your shoulders and probably to understand that you're not the only one and that there are a lot of people out there like it um, is, is a huge huge relief mm-hmm. no some really good points there and one thing I'm taking from it is that like mental health and physical health go hand in hand but Another thing, uh, just when you were speaking there, is that like we build these things up in our head and we don't want to speak about them, but in reality, I'm sure if we spoke to someone, it probably wouldn't have been that bad. Like You think of some of the topics we've covered here. Like I've known you for years, and the only time we've ever kind of delved into some of the topics we've touched on is now during a, a, an organized podcast. Like, But... Uh, and during it, like, we're laughing and joking, and, and I think that's how men deal with, with mental health, to be honest. Um, and it's not that we're not, not taking it serious. It, we are taking it serious, but it doesn't need to be, uh, doom and gloom. Like, you can just speak about things, and then at the end of it, you, you almost forget that, well, actually, I, I spoke about some serious things there, but because they were said in such a, an easygoing manner or something like that, you, they almost don't get the credibility they deserve so just a reminder that like don't build these things up in your head just spit the words out and like you'll be amazed with how easy it was or because holding it in is much more difficult than getting it out i think oh really uh 100% like i think once you uh once you do get it out you kind of realize that people are are a lot more open to it than you think Mm -hmm. and people's reactions will be different it's kind of like you know if you sit someone down and say, Jesus, I need to tell you something, you sit down and go, oh, I wish you'd tell me. Is everything okay? Are you, whatever. And then yeah. you, go, uh, you know, I lost my shoes, can't wear my shoes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, yeah. And it's yeah. like, oh, sure, that, that's grand. You know what I mean? Or, oh, I don't, I don't feel it too well. What's, what's wrong? You know, people don't take things as hard No, as no, no. And people are generally good natured. Like, I know if I, like, I probably don't keep up with yourself or we're both probably guilty of not keeping up with each other as much yeah. as we could. But I know one day if, if I wasn't feeling well, I'd just say, I'm struggling here now mentally, don't feel the best. Like, I know I won't get a bad response. And if I did, I'd be incredibly unlucky. And then the next person I go to, the chance of him being as negative would be far less, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And especially once you realise, like, I'd imagine sort of when people hear your podcast or people hear some of the topics we talked about or they'll be able to um, sort of say, well, uh, you know, I kind of went through that or I kind of mm-hmm. this or whatever, you know, or I, I am currently going through this or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, it might open them up a little bit to go, hey, you know, uh, I might actually talk to that fella or I might ask this fella or whatever, you know. And, yeah. Um, it's good to have that to have that link there that you can reach out, you know. No, 100%. Uh, and we were just speaking about kind of the stigma earlier. There, there is a lot of stigma around men and their mental health. Um, but I think we've broken down a lot of barriers there today. But everyone I have spoken to on this podcast, similar to yourself, haven't been afraid to speak. Or people who haven't come on just said, look, I don't think I'd be able to contribute enough to it. But they were really like pro the idea. So like, I don't think that stigma deserves any credit anymore, to be honest. 
do you think we carry this this burden on our shoulders um of not being able to say I don't feel okay from previous generations of mental neglect where it may have been the norm back then or actually is this stigma still very much alive or how much has it diminished or is it still there a little bit or what's your take on it? I think, I think we carry it. I think we're kind of from uh, previous generations. I think yeah. uh, how we interact as uh, men is, is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people now are going for coffee together or going for a walk together or, uh, you know, they're going doing different activities. Whereas years ago, it was you just go to the pub and have a drink and share you couldn't talk about feelings at, at the, you know, point in the pub like no, the match was no, on or no. the, you know, you were sitting there in front of loads of lads um, and you, you couldn't do that. So, yeah. and that was where you spent the majority of your time. Yeah. But now things are different. Uh, men are interacting in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, going for, going, like going for coffee. Coffee's, Comes coffee's up all the time. Up. Comes up all the time and, Another thing yeah. you said there, like you go to the pub because your intention is to get some release, but reality is you just have to sit there, go on and piss off, and no matter what yeah. you want to talk about, you don't want to be the yeah. negative Nelly of the situation. Like so, coffee That's shops it, have, yeah. have played a big role in recent years on diminishing the stigma around it. Yeah, I, I mean, I even I have a friend I won't mention his name now, but uh, mm-hmm. he he go, always goes for coffee, and we we sit in for coffee, but he doesn't drink coffee. Um, he drinks hot chocolate. Uh, so there'll be all of us sitting around drinking, you know, can I get a, you know, Americana or just like black coffee or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know, underneath the cup, it's like sprinkles and hot chocolate <laughs> and, uh, you know, marshmallows, but yeah, it's just yeah. in a coffee cup and he's just sipping as normal. But he doesn't drink coffee. You know, he's going to a coffee shop uh, and he's just coming for, for the chance, for the crack, you know, and that's something we'll probably be unheard of, you know, you could probably maybe even five years ago yeah yeah yeah. I, I was waiting for you to say 10 20 but i even think five years to be honest five yeah which is crazy even we've touched on some really good things there um thanks so much for coming on i really appreciate you coming on and being so open and speaking about your background and insight that you have yeah no it was great fun uh it's it's it's, it's really interesting you know you uh, when you're going back and forward with ideas you'd even kind of come up with stuff that you think of yourself, you know. Yeah, yeah, we brainstormed a lot. Thanks very much, Ian. I'll go Shane. Thank you. Thank you.